Thank the band one more time for being our leaders this morning. I, I got in a little bit late, so I'm not sure if it was communicated that Pierce was a last-minute worship leader. Um, Brendan, Brendan is sick at home with the flu. Most of his family has the flu. And so yesterday, Brendan said, I don't think I'm going to make it. And Pierce said, I'll do it. And so give it up again for Pierce. Awesome. I also heard um, that Christopher Lee is in the house. Christopher, we are so glad that you're here. Chris, Christopher has been batter, battling cancer, and um, he is he's out of the hospital. And uh, at least last week, I believe you went back. Did he go back to school? He's back in school, and so we are so excited. And I especially like that hat. Nice. Got the Patriots hat on. We're going to win the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. All right. I mean, this is church, though, so we won't go there. But, you know, Brian did talk about Tom Brady last week, so I guess we can still, still do that. We have been in, a, in an awesome series. I'm so thankful for Brian Marcioni. Can you give it up for Brian and the great job that he's been done, doing and leading us out? Uh, he's done a masterful job of, of leading us into uh, God's presence. And it, in the, the, the theme of our series is called Into His Presence. By looking at a book that we would not normally go to, to try to discern what God's presence is all about, and that's Leviticus. And um, so we are going to continue to stay in this book um, as we follow the journey of God and His people, God's desire to call a people into Himself, a people that He has um, delivered from bondage and slavery out of Egypt and has led them through the desert to Mount Sinai, where he met with their leader, Moses, on the mountain uh, to, uh, to hear from God what God wanted to do with this people that he's called his own. This people, uh, the children of Israel, um, who've traveled uh, not with a, a uh, geographical location to call their own, but a God to call their own. A God who said, I will be their God, and they will be my people, and I will lead them. And if they will respond to me, um, I will cover and protect them. I will shepherd them. I will nurture and care for them. I will bring them wisdom. I'll bring them life. And as Brian so eloquently presented to us the first Sunday, I will not only give them all of that, but I will give them my presence. I'll give them my presence. I will be approachable. I will be a God who invites them in to be with me. And Brian declared, you know, talked about this presence in the first week that he shared, and he said, you know, the thing that we long for the most is to be in God's presence because He is perfect, He is infinite, He is inexhaustible, in his love. And he described the very essence of God's presence and the very essence of our desire and longing for God's presence is because at the center of God's presence is love. Is the very thing that we long for, acceptance unconditionally. Kindness and goodness. And so in God's presence there is love. We 
We long for His presence. Brian went on to say the security, the peace, the provision that never runs out, that has no end. We long for God's presence, the presence we were created for. We were made to be with Him and enjoy Him forever. This, friends, is the problem statement of humankind. We long for God's presence, but we can't get to Him. And so then last week, Brian gave the answer to how we get to God's presence. How do we... How do we get invited into or to be able to experience the presence of a God who is holy and is perfect and is just and is clean. And we'll, under, we'll unpack this word clean and holy today as we look, at, look, to get, look to God's word. But how do we enter into that place when we are sinful, when we are, when we are common, when we are not holy? And Brian shared with us that Jesus showed us how and Leviticus pointed to it to how by the fact that God will not judge our sin, God will judge our sin without judging us. That He'll provide a way for judgment that doesn't require us to bear the burden. But He placed that judgment upon a sacrifice. We, were, we saw in Leviticus that the Aaron, the high priest, the mediator between man and the people of Israel and God, uh, was standing in the holy place in God's presence, and he used the blood of animals to make atonement for sins. The blood of animals were symbolically taking away the people's sins. The animals, the bull and the goat, were dying instead of the people, and God judged the animals instead of our own sin. The animals took the place of the people's judgment, and they died in their stead. But because all of this blood sprinkling in the tabernacle wouldn't be seen by the Israelites, God provided another goat, a scapegoat, to provide a visible sign, is what Brian communicated. He says this, All the sins of the people are laid upon this goat's head. He takes, he's taken outside of the camp, cast away, cast out of God's presence, and into the wilderness. This symbolically shows that sin is removed from the community. Sin is completely and utterly removed from the sight of God and the sight of Israelites. The goat bears the guilt and punishment due the people. It's the Israelites who should be cast out of God's presence. And we could place ourselves into this same story. It is us in our sinfulness who should be cast out of God's presence. We should be repelled farther away from God instead of being invited in. But the goat is the substitute for them. It's a proxy for the people. God judges the goat instead of the Israelites. So the Day of Atonement, that one day a year where the priests entered the Holy of Holies and made the sacrifice, and then the goat was sent out as the, the visible sacrifice for our atonement, presented in Leviticus, is only a partial solution to our problem. It's a foreshadowing. It's a pointer to something that was to come the ultimate payment for our sin, a final sacrifice that never needs to be repeated, a sacrifice that was once and for all. This is found in Jesus, the perfect human sacrifice. Holy, without sin, Jesus, who is not only man, but God. A sacrifice of infinite worth, God's own Son, His very own Son killed and sacrificed, Sacrifice for us instead of us. This is our Savior. This is our Messiah. This is Jesus. And everybody said, 
Amen. Hallelujah. You don't have to just say amen. You can go, woo! Yes! That we have been given a Savior by God. It says in John that Jesus was from the very beginning of time. There was no beginning and there will be no end for Jesus. That from the very beginning of time, Jesus, God, and the Son of God, the Trinity, God devised a plan to set us free from our sin. And that plan, that archetype, that foreshadowing was described for us in the desert by Moses, handed down to Moses from God, and a pattern, a type was shown to us through the people of Israel and described to us in Leviticus. This sacrificial atonement, this opportunity for God to judge our sin, the sinfulness of our lives, but not destroy us. To have a payment for our wickedness, but not cast us out of His presence forever. It is an amen. And though the system was repeated yearly by the blood of animals, a more perfect sacrifice was offered through Jesus. Once and for all, the writers of the New Testament talk about that no no longer would we have to kill multiple bulls and sacrifice multiple lambs and continue to offer blood on the altar in the temple. But Jesus would do that all for us once and for all, for all time. Jews then and today, many await that something, that someone that would usher in a new way, the Messiah. For most who are religious or God-fearing, they still wait for the Messiah to come. The sacrificial system was a part of God's plan, but the fulfillment of God's plan is the Messiah that would lead the people to a better place. However, Jews that believed in Jesus and what He said about Himself, when He was alive and throughout history, along with non-Jews in the Scripture called Gentiles, accepted Jesus' own testimony that He was in fact the Messiah, that He was the Messiah not only for the the, the Jewish people, but for all mankind that they were waiting for. He was this Messiah. He was and is the Savior of all humanity. And He was not coming contrary to what they thought. He was not coming to be a conquering King, but a suffering servant King. He didn't come to take over by command or force, but He invited, and he, but to invite and to be invited into our lives by worshipful choice. This is the Messiah Jesus that we worship. He was made sin for us, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He carried our sins for us, 1 Peter 2. The Lord laid upon Him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah 53. For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the righteous, Jesus, for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit, 1 Peter 3.8. Once and for all, Jesus has become our atoning sacrifice. So putting our faith and trust in Jesus, allowing Him to free us from our sin and guilt and give us new life so we are made right with God and so that we can go to Him. We can get into His presence now because of Jesus. 
So, now as believers in Christ, we are a community of people, a church, not because of our race or because of our physical birth, but because of our spiritual birth. We have been born into a family. In John 3, it talks about being born again. We've all been born into a a natural family or a natural race or a natural position or geographic location. But through Christ, we are born into a new family. We are born into a new tribe. A tribe whose common denominator is what? Jesus. I am your brother, not because we are born of the same mother. I am your brother because I and you, if we have put our faith in Jesus, are born into the same Savior, the same Messiah, the same one who has given us access into the Holy of Holies because of the blood that He has shed on the cross. We lift up Jesus not to be one among other unique things to lift up. We lift up Jesus because He was and He is and He is to come and He has declared that He is the Savior of all mankind. This is the Jesus that we worship. And He is a Jesus that loves everyone without discretion or without um, prejudice. Everybody has opportunity to come to Jesus at the foot of the cross. Hallelujah. Okay, I'm about to get excited. All right. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, it says in Galatians. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female, for you are all one. In Christ Jesus. This leads us to today's message and text. You ready? So we, we are part of a family. We have been atoned and set free and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. We have been placed into a family or a community with God. But what else? If you were listening to Brian a couple of weeks ago, you know. What else? We are called to be holy. We are called to display His glory. This is what holiness is about. Holiness is not about earning God's favor. Jesus has already done that. Holiness is not about getting closer to God. Because we're already as close as we can get because the Spirit of God lives in us. Holiness is about reflecting and displaying what God has already done in our life. That's what holiness is about. And that's where we get in trouble as a church of people because we go back to before the cross to live out our holiness. But our holiness is not about getting saved again. It's about honoring the God who has saved us. And it is about giving, bringing distinction and glory to the one who saved us. And that brings us back to Leviticus because that's exactly what God was calling the people of Israel to do when He gave them His laws and decrees to be holy. Let's look at, Brian mentioned in his first message, this verse, Leviticus 11.45, I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God, therefore be holy as I am holy. That phrase is repeated four times in Leviticus. And I'm going to read our text this morning. It's going to say the same thing with a little bit more context for our message today. Look at Leviticus 20, verse 7 and 8. Consecrate yourselves 
and be holy, for I am Yahweh your God. Keep my statutes and do them. I am Yahweh who sets you apart. Verse 22. You must keep all of my decrees and regulations by putting them into practice. Otherwise, the land to which I'm bringing you, I am bringing you as your new home will vomit you out. Do not live according to the customs of the people I'm driving out before you. It is because they do these shameful things that I detest them. But I have promised you, you will possess their land because I will give it to you as your possession, a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who has, what? Set you apart from all other people. For you must be holy because I, the Lord, am holy. I have set you apart from all other people to be my very own. As Brian had said, God is saying to us as believers, as He said to the children of Israel, now that you're free, now that I've saved you from slavery, from Egypt or for all of us from sin, let me tell you what I've saved you to. You're saved to be in my presence for eternity, and this is how it needs to look. Holiness is about how God is, who He is, and how we are to be a reflection of who He is what it is to look like. He's called us to be holy. What is holiness? Holiness means to be set apart, to be other, to be distinct, to be different. I bet if I were to ask many of you what holiness meant or means, you would say, not sinning and doing good things. Doing what God tells us we should be doing and not doing what we shouldn't be doing. I think that's a very base way of looking at holiness. Because what God's character in life does in us does help us to live to do what is right, and it does teach us to say no to what is wrong. But holiness is about being set apart. It's about being seen as one who is special and worthy of honor and affection and praise. When I got married, well, actually before I got married, um, my wife and I, or my engaged, my, my, the one I was engaged to, fiancé, thank you, I all of a sudden forgot, I've been married too long. Uh, that was what she wore at one time. My fiancé um, moved away from me, and she moved to the other side of the world. At that time, I was living in Texas, and she moved to Russia. She moved to Siberia, and she moved before the internet. Yes, I have lived before the internet. <laughs> she moved before flip phones and portable phones. We were corded phones then. She moved before social media. There was no way to get a hold. The way that I communicated to her, get this, younger people in the room. I wrote her letters. Do you even know what that is? I wrote, not emails. I wrote her letters. And because it took so long for the letters to get there, you know what I did? I wrote letters to her before she left. And I gave her like 20 letters and said, open this one on week one, open this one on week two, open this one on week three, right? 
They're pretty awesome, aren't they? Do you still have those letters? Yeah. She left my presence, and I was not happy. For those of, of, of the, the, for the, the people that lived with me when Laura was gone, I was a grumpy youth pastor. She was having the time of her life, which really bothered me. Um, but I was not happy. When she came back, shortly after she came back, we planned the wedding. A lot of the stuff for the wedding, her mom and I planned, which is a whole other story. Don't ever do that. <laughs> that was a mess. Uh, we planned the wedding, and shortly after she got back, we, we got married. Now, I can tell you that when I was standing, when I was standing on the floor looking up the aisle to the doors that were closed, trumpet blasting, organ, anybody know what an organ is? We had an organ. <laughs> organ booming. Those doors open and this beautiful woman in white stood there. Yeah, who said, mm-mm-mm? Yeah, that's right, Shaz. I was taken. And she walked down that aisle, and the, every step she took, she got closer to me, to the point that she came down, and oh, by this time, if you know anything about my wedding, all of us, all the men were crying, I'm bawling, all the women are <laughs> totally reversed, right? She stands beside me, her dad stands in between us for a few minutes, which I was really mad about, and he gets out of the way. He puts us together, and I'm holding hands with my bride. And from that moment forward, through the vows, through the kiss, and I won't describe any more of the rest of the story, we were in each other's presence. Words cannot describe, I can't describe nor should I describe, the joy in the fullness of being in my wife's presence and knowing that she was my bride and that I was her husband and that this was my mate, my spouse, my partner, my friend for life. Now imagine if day two in that marriage bliss. Laura wakes up and it's not just the two of us. I decided to invite Cindy from the restaurant into our marriage. Laura wakes up, and in between Laura and I is Cindy. And I'm just like, you know, this is normal. Sweetheart, I love being in your presence, but I just thought I'd invite Cindy in too. Can you begin to fathom or understand what Laura's reaction might be? Now, I just want to disclaimer, I never did that, all right? The this, this, this story ended with, oh, it was wonderful, bless. I've never done that. But can you imagine what Laura's reaction would be to that? And as a result, can you imagine what my reaction might be to Laura's reaction? I want you to stop. I want, I'm going to leave that illustration in your mind, and we're going to pick it up if I can get to it at the end of the message. So hold on to that. 
holy is distinctly other and set apart. It is um, not to be mixed with what is not holy. So in Hebrew thinking during the time, and a lot of these thoughts come out of Wenham's commentary on Leviticus, he describes from Leviticus the thought about the holy. These are words that you'll see in Leviticus as you, as you read the laws and you read the regulations that are prescribed by God uh, through Moses to the people of Israel. You'll see the word holy. You'll see the word common, clean, and unclean. What is holy is opposite of what is common. So common is not holy. Holy is not common. And what is clean, obviously, is not the same as unclean. They're they're opposite. So, everything that is not holy is common. So common is kind of the natural state of things. Before it is polluted or made holy, it's kind of the, the, the commonplace that most of us start out or most things are is common in regards to the writings in Leviticus. But common can break down into two different categories, either being clean or unclean. You don't want to be unclean. Unclean comes through the act of of either uh, some human encounter like touching the dead, a dead person made somebody who was clean unclean, or through sinful actions. It It could be... something that you didn't intend to do, or it could be something that you intentionally did that was wrong, but for whatever, perp- whatever reason, if you did something that was not according to the standards of God, you became unclean. And if you were unclean, or if something was unclean, the way that it became not unclean, or became clean, <laughs> double negative, it became clean, is through an act of washing and cleansing, or sacrifice. That's how it was made clean. Uncleanness, obviously, was at the very opposite end of holiness. Something clean could be made unclean. And to be made clean, there had to be an act of sacrifice and washing to cleanse it. Remember that God's desire for us in the people, of, the people of Israel at the time was to be holy. He said, be holy for I am holy. So he was calling them from the common to the holy. And the only way that that could be done was by two things to happen. A divine action by God. He called people to be holy. You could not be holy just because you wanted to be holy. You can't make yourself holy. The only way that we can become holy is if God says, Bree, I want you to be holy. Come and be holy. The other act that has to happen in order for the people to be holy, from coming, to be made holy from being common, is that they had to respond to God's initiative. Whether that would be through regular sacrifices and offerings that God prescribed, to do what God had called them to do, and or to repent of the things that they've done wrong, and to, make, by contrition, have an act that cleansed them. They'd bring a sacrifice. They'd bring an offering for cleansing. The last, 
the, the, the other part that's important is that in this sacrificial system or in this legal system, they had to have a mediator to stand in the place between God and themselves to enact this ritual to make them clean. Are you following me? So God's holy. He's pure. He's right. We're common. We could be clean or unclean. Our unclean acts need to be washed and cleansed and purified so that we can be clean again. And then if we want to be holy, God calls us to the place of holiness and we respond. And His holiness, or to be holy, is to be called into His presence. To be one with Him. And so in Leviticus, you see all these laws. You see three sets of categories of laws. Can we just talk about them real quick? I looked at Brian. I said, Brian, you gave me the hard one this week. I do all this teaching. You should have been doing this. I should have been doing something else, like preaching about the presence and the love of God and all that stuff. You give me the laws. Okay, so here you go. The laws. Here they are. We've got three sets of laws. We've got the ceremonial laws. We've got the governmental laws, and then we've got the moral laws. And they're all in Leviticus, and they're not just in Leviticus. They're in the Torah. They're in the whole teaching of the Pentateuch. Uh, but specifically in Leviticus, we see these ceremonial and governmental laws that God is giving to his people to create a distinctive people that's set apart from the nations and tribes around them that declare the goodness and the holiness of God. That's what he's doing here. He's making them distinct. He's calling them out to be different, ceremonially and governmentally. He's calling them out to be moral. Remember what he said in Leviticus 20. He said, I'm calling you to this because the people, that the land that you're going into, they practice things that are detestable to me. They're immoral. And I want you to live differently. You following it? Ceremonial laws. This is the sacrificial system. It was, the heart of, it was at the heart of Old Testament worship. Um, so God, we either, so and I've already kind of explained it, it's this whole sacrificial system that I just explained. He would allow the animal to be sacrificed on our behalf, and once a year the high priest went into the Holy of Holies and brought the blood of bulls and goats as a sin offering to the Lord. And all of the ceremonial and sacrificial laws pointed to, as believers and as Jesus communicated, pointed to what Christ was going to do for us on the cross. Listen to this in Hebrews 9. But when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so they are outwardly clean. So are you getting the imagery that we got from Leviticus? That Jesus is making us inwardly and outwardly clean. He's making us fully clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? So where the sacrificial system created the opportunity for the sins to be forgiven among the people. That was the, that was the whole set of laws um, ceremonially. As we, as we look um, to our faith in Christ, He declared that He was that ultimate sacrifice. 
that ceremonial sacrifice for our sins. Governmental laws. These laws that you read about in Leviticus, these laws provide a unique identity for Israel as a nation that belongs to God. These laws, you'll see them related to agriculture, the settling of disputes, of how to eat certain foods to eat, um, cleanliness laws, dress codes. They were special standards by which his people were to live as distinct and apart from the rest of the world. Often when we read through these laws, they don't make sense to us now because they they don't apply to the the kind of way that we live life, nor are we living under a theocracy. Our our dynamic is so different from the children of Israel that many of these laws, when we we read them, we, we don't even know how to apply them because they weren't meant as laws for us. They were meant for law, as laws for the people of Israel as God was distinguishing them among the, the nations around them. And then we have the moral laws, the natures of the, the moral laws, or the, I believe the, na- the very nature of God, His eternal character, His goodness, who, what, he is, what He says is right and true. And so how do we parse the moral laws of the Old Testament with the moral laws or the standards of the New Testament? And when I say moral laws, like the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, honor your mother and father, the Lord your God is one God. These laws, as well as laws about how we treat one another, Jesus puts it into clear perspective, the moral law. What is the moral law of God? He said this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. When you look at the Ten Commandments, that's like the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. A second, second is, a second law is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets, Jesus says, are based on these two commandments. So how do you ask the question, what is God asking me morally? Does it... Does what I do or not do honor and worship God? If it honors and worships Jesus, it's good. If it doesn't, it's sin. Secondly, what do we ask? Does it honor and serve other people? Does it love and honor other people? If what I am doing loves and honors other people, it's good. If it doesn't, it's sin. That's what Jesus is saying. Amen? And so when you go back and you read through Leviticus and you read it through this lens, does it worship and honor God? Does it serve and honor other people? That is the basis or the foundation for the moral law that God is establishing specifically as you read through Leviticus. And the New Testament is full of the affirmation of those moral laws and gets specific itself. So Leviticus gets specific, the New Testament gets specific. I I pulled out one, but I could pull out numerous ones throughout the New Testament. But in Galatians 6, Paul says this, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people. Do you see how if you read through those, that would either be about how you're honoring and worshiping God or honoring and serving one another? None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. 
So we are to consecrate, Leviticus 20, ourselves and be holy, for Yahweh is our God. We are to keep His statutes and do them because He has set us apart. He has set us apart as a people that are to be His own. He is our God. He alone. Yahweh. And as we look towards the New Testament, Jesus, our Savior, He alone is to be worshipped. This was the commandment. Serve the Lord your God only. Worship Him alone. So our first question today is, is God our place of worship? If He is our place of worship, if He is set apart to be worshipped, have we set aside our lives to worship Him? Is He our one and only? Now that you remember that I am God and to be worshipped and set set apart, now consecrate yourselves. You live holy. You live um, as you are called to live. Can I give you, huh, race here, can I give you one stark illustration in Leviticus? I'm going to jump out into dangerous territory here. It's not one that we like to read about. But Leviticus 10, they have just received a lot of the, the laws and commandments, they have just experienced the presence of God in their midst. Fire came out and the people saw the presence of the Lord. And then the priests go about to start to, to perform these sacrifices or these offerings. And it says in verse 1 of Leviticus 10, Aaron's sons Nadab and Abihu put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died there before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near me. I will display my glory before all all the people. And Aaron was silent. Right from the start, Aaron's sons, the priest, casually burn the wrong kind of fire. They disobey. They take lightly the commands of God. They had just seen the presence of God displayed in front of the whole assembly. And they didn't take seriously the steps or the commands that God had given them. And God judged them. We don't know the motivation of God, but many commentators surmise that God was setting precedent and that he wanted to make sure his laws were followed for years to come. And sadly, we know that that did not work because we have stories of how they did not, they, they did not continue to follow the demands or the commands of the Lord. I also think that that high priest, that priestly function, we know is a foreshadowing of Christ. And I think God was wanting to make very clear that our high priest, Jesus, is holy. He's obedient. He is submitted. And he has God's perfect intent in sight and in purpose. And we also know from the text of Scripture that says the closer we come to God, the more he expects from us. When we're in God's presence, we are to live holy. Now, I'm going to go back to the very first thing I said, and then I'm going to end with a verse and we'll be finished. I share that to say this. 
I feel like, and we'll look at, we'll look at this Hebrews passage to close up in the New Testament, but I feel like that as a church, as the big C church, not Antioch Waltham, but as the church today, we love to talk about what Christ has done for us. We love to talk about his grace and his forgiveness and his, his offer for us to be in his presence, and that is what we should lead with. We love to talk about the Father's love and His care for us, and that's what we should lead with. But we also need to realize that God is jealous for His glory and His holiness to be displayed to the world. And the only way the world sees how awesome and powerful and free God is, because remember, holiness is freedom. Holiness is deliverance. Holiness is joy. Holiness is hope. Holiness is worship of God. Holiness is everything that is good. When we live in that way, then the world gets to see it and God is glorified. God is lifted up. But when we take the name of Jesus, please listen to me and know my heart. But when we take the name of Jesus and call ourselves Christians and mark Christianity and mark Christ with a picture and an image of God that is not holy, that is not like Him. When people say, Jesus this and Jesus that, and we live something completely different than what Jesus taught us, what God taught His people in the desert when He led the people of Israel, when we listen, when we say, I'm a representative of God, and this is what God looks like, and it doesn't look anything like God. How does God feel? What does God do? Do you see what I'm saying? We like to say, oh yeah, yeah, but God is gracious and He's forgiving. He is. And you're playing with fire. The scripture says that some will be saved as being snatched from the fire. They might have believed, but they've lived their lives apart from the things of God. I don't want that fate for you or me. I want us to press into the presence of God because when we're in the presence of God and we understand that God's presence is in us, we live holy because what's the name of God who lives in us? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Just in case you wonder if that's just an Old Testament illustration, could you listen to Hebrews 10? And so, dear brothers and sisters... Listen to the front part. He's going to do such a great job. The writer's going to do such a great job of placing the, what's a, what, what we need to hear first in front, the challenge, and then remind us again of who we are. So listen, I'm going to read this whole passage, but listen to me. This is really important. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have the great high priest, Jesus, who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return draws near. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover our sin. 
There's only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume His enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were, look at those words, common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge and I will pay back. He also said, the Lord will judge His own people. It's terrible to fall into the hands of a living God. Now, church, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule or beaten, and sometimes you helped others when who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that He has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay, and my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. Hey, church, but you, we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones, faithful ones whose souls will be saved. The connection is this. We've been given access into the Holy of Holies. We've been given the privilege of knowing God face to face. All because of Jesus. I believe the Hebrew writer, I believe that the context of the Leviticus passage is that when we trample on or we hold with um, disdain or irreverence the most holy things of God, It's an affront to our Savior. It's an affront to Him. It doesn't mean we have to be perfect. So hear me, all of those who suffer suffer with the, 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 the tendency of condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He is not wanting any of you to be condemned for any sin that you've committed. He is wanting you, whenever you sin, to fall before Him and repent and call out to Him and thank Him for His mercy and grace. He extends it before you even ask for it. He wants to forgive you. It's when we say, Jesus, you're not enough. Or Jesus, I can do my own thing. Or Jesus, there's another way. Or Jesus, I don't have to follow you because I want to do what I want to do. When we get to those places, we pray for them. Because that's where we arouse the anger. You get it? Can I take you back to my illustration at the beginning? What would Laura do if Cindy was in bed in between the two of us? You think she'd go, oh, you know what? I loved you, and we said our vows. It's okay. Let's just deal with Cindy. That'll be all right. Would she do that? No, she wouldn't. She would have unbelievable strong emotions in regards to this situation. And she would be justified 
because she is my one and only. She's my bride. And if she rebuked me and she was merciful to give me an opportunity to stay in this marriage, which would be an unbelievable gift from her. She said, you know what, I'm so hot and so mad at you. for, You know, she gave it to me. And then she said, but if you get this woman out of here and you repent, and this is a human illustration, God's so much bigger than that, what would my response be? My response would be, I'd have two responses. I could have two responses, right? Do everything that she said and beg for mercy. And recommit my life to her. Or I could choose Cindy and make a huge mistake. And either way, something's going to happen. There's going to be a shift. There's going to be a change. Because you can't stay in that place. So my encouragement to us is God's called us to be sinless because of Christ Jesus. He's called us into community because of his calling and his desire. He's called us to be holy. All of those so that we could be in his presence, so that we can display to the world his goodness. Brian's going to come up next week and he's going to talk about that. He's going to talk about that covenant relationship and what it looks like through our lives as we impact the world. But let's respond this morning in prayer. Stand up with me. Thank you for going a little late long with me. I really wanted to get that in. Father, we thank you that you're, you are who you are. You, you can't change your nature. You are holy. You're morally good. You're right all the time. You're just. You're, you're always good. And Lord, we are so thankful that you're merciful and that you're kind and that you're forgiving and that you have devised ways, it says in um, Exodus, it says that you have devised a way to bring banished men and women to yourself, and that's through Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we ask that you would take us into your presence once more this morning. Father, for those in this room that as they've listened to this message, they realize, I don't know if I've ever been in God's presence. I ask God that you would Invite them in as you already have, and if they'd hear that invitation and they'd receive that invitation to come into your presence, that they would see that you've made a way through Jesus Christ who died for them, paid the price for their sin on the cross, and rose from the grave to defeat sin and death so that they would never be in bondage ever again. Lord, would you invite men and women this morning into your presence for the first time and save them? And Lord, for the rest of us, Lord, we ask God that you would, you would uh, help us see our lives. Help us to see, Lord, where we are worshiping you alone and set apart for you and living holy lives. And Lord, may we worship in that place of contentment. May we worship in that place of freedom that you've enabled us to walk in. Lord, but if there are ways in which we've invited somebody else into this relationship or invited other things. Lord, we ask, Father, that you would graciously reveal what that is and that through repentance and offering back to you, Lord, that you would cleanse us and you draw us into that place of holiness and set-apartness for you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you have a band behind me? I don't. Amen. All right.
Well, let's let's do this. Let's let's just. Um, it's okay. We'll just finish it. Let's get back one more. Let's just one more prayer. Everybody, close your eyes, just so that you're not looking around. Nobody's looking at you. Let's just allow the Lord to speak. As I prayed, I pray. I prayed a prayer, but I want you to open your ears and hear from God. Lord, do you have anything that you want to say to me? Say, Lord, whatever you've already said to me, Lord, what do you want me to do about it? If you'll listen, let God speak to you. Lord, I pray for all of us, Lord, and a theme that I didn't jump into, Lord, but it meant to is, Lord, we are now all priests. We are the priests, your priests in this world. And so, Lord, would you empower us by your Holy Spirit that lives within us to live holy lives, to live such distinct lives, set-apart lives, holy means, that we'd be so different that the world would take notice and want to know you, God. So I just pray over every believer in this room, mark them with favor and distinctness. And this week, Lord, may they see that distinctness, that holiness, that set-apartness, draw them into conversations, draw them into acts of kindness, draw them into prayers prayed that extend your holiness, your glory to the world they live in, to the world we live in and beyond. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.